0: let's turn to Proverbs 23 for our starting text today. And while you're finding Proverbs 23, I want to share a little bit of the history of Father's Day in the United States with you. While days to honor fathers have existed in Europe since the 1500s, the first known Father's Day service in the United States occurred in Fairmont, West Virginia on July 5th, 1908. It occurred after hundreds of men died in the worst mining accident in U.S. history. Grace Golden Clayton, the daughter of a dedicated minister, proposed a service to honor all fathers, especially those who had died. She was very likely inspired by Anna Jarvis, the woman from West Virginia who orchestrated the first Mother's Day service two months prior to this. While this is the first known Father's Day service in the United States, Sonora Smart Dodd of Spokane, Washington, is the one who is usually credited with starting the Father's Day tradition. Her father raised her and her five brothers after her mother died giving birth to their youngest child. And after attending a Mother's Day church service in 1909, she came up with the idea to do something similar for fathers. Within a few months, Sonora had convinced the Spokane Ministerial Association and the YMCA to set aside a Sunday in June to celebrate fathers. The ministers chose the third Sunday in June, and so on June 19, 1910, the first Father's Day events commenced. Sonora delivered presents to handicapped fathers and boys from the YMCA, decorated their lapels with fresh-cut roses, red roses for living fathers and white for those who had been deceased. All of the city's ministers devoted their sermons to fatherhood. While the widely publicized events in Spokane put the idea on the path to becoming a national holiday, it did not catch on right away like Mother's Day did. Most men thought it was just a commercialization gimmick to sell flowers and other gifts. Many men thought the idea of taking a special day to exalt fatherhood was silly because it was mothers who were underappreciated, not fathers'. Despite this pushback from many men, President Woodrow Wilson and his family observed Father's Day in 1916, and then eight years later, President Calvin Coolidge signed a resolution in favor of Father's Day in order to, quote, establish more intimate relations between fathers and their children and to impress upon fathers the full measure of their obligations. And so we see the difference between Father's Day and Mother's Day here is that, you know, I get dads all the time. They'll tell me, on Mother's Day, you give this nice, happy message about how we can be better to our moms. And on Father's Day, you hammer the dads. Yes, I'm I'm being a good American citizen. (laughs) Even though this was the kind of thrust and the focus that the government was trying to portray about Father's Day to make it look differently than like a foofy flower day, like Mother's Day, so men would buy in, it did not catch on. In fact, it didn't become an official holiday until almost 50 years later in 1972 under President Nixon. And so here we are on Father's Day today celebrating fathers and impressing upon them the full measure of their obligations. Now, while our culture has this day where we honor fathers, Proverbs 30 verse 11 gives a horrible charge. We looked at it on Mother's Day because. It mentioned there that there is a generation that doesn't bless their mothers. Well, it has something to say about fathers, too. In Proverbs 30:11, it says, "There's a generation that curses their father." In other words, it is possible for a group of people who live at the same time, a generation, to drop to a very low place. It's one where they curse their fathers. Well, what does it mean to curse your father? The word curse, it means to invoke divine harm, to ask God to get your dad. It implies great anger or displeasure. This isn't just becoming frustrated, therefore, with your father. I think all of us have experienced that. If you've got a dad, you've probably been frustrated with him at some point. But it's becoming so angry that you verbalize the idea that you wish they were no longer involved in your life. Now, actions speak louder than words. Words. So I do think it's possible to live out this curse without verbalizing it, to step into the role of God myself and to cut my father out of my life. It is no secret that the penitential system never has enough Mother's Day cards to give to their inmates. They always run out. But it is near impossible for them to give away all their Father's Day cards. Why is it? that we so easily reject the earthly father that God gave to us? Well, there, there are reasons that are on the father's side, too. But there are reasons on our side that have nothing to do with them. Why is it that as we grow into preteens and beyond, that we so easily begin to ignore the role that God gave fathers in our lives? I know as a teenager that was my thought. You know, my dad would say, son, we need to talk. And I'd be like, oh, dear God, get me out of here right? Many of us have probably felt the same way. Well, if we're going to recognize the important role God has given to our fathers and bless them instead of be those who curse them, we need to heed some of the principles in God's Word. And we find three of them here in Proverbs 23, verses 22 through 24. Proverbs 23, 22 through 24 says, Hearken unto your father that begot you, and and despise not your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begets a wise child shall have joy of him. We see here three principles of how we can be a blessing to our earthly fathers, and the first one starts off with this command, hearken, hearken unto your father. That's not a phrase we use each day. Like, I don't tend to summon my children together and say, hearken to the words of your father, kids. We don't talk like that anymore. But the word here, hearken, it means to listen with the intent to respond or, if appropriate, obey. To listen with the intent to respond or obey. And it says we are to hearken not just unto your father, but it reminds you of the role that your father has in your life, your father that begat you. It's interesting, just as there have been many years of undue authority given to the father over a child where the mother had no say, I would say in our culture today there is an undue authority given to the mother over her body and the child that's within. The biblical view is neither of those thoughts. The biblical view is that both the father and the mother are necessary for the creation of the child and are therefore important in the role of the child from the time of its conception all the way through to the end. That's the biblical view. The biblical view is also that the ultimate authority over our bodies is God. There is no one who should be saying, my body, my life, male or female, because we were given it. We did not give it to ourselves. And so, just as the father contributes to the creation of the child, he has an important role in instructing the child. If you and I want to be a blessing to our earthly fathers, Solomon tells us, remember that they had a role. Remember that they have a God-given role. Remember that important role and listen with the intent to respond appropriately. Solomon says it in another way in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, Hear, you children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake you not my law. Let me ask you a question. Do you do that with your earthly father? Do you listen with the intent to respond appropriately? You say, well, my dad's made a lot of mistakes. Okay. Even if your father has made many mistakes, consider who Solomon's father was. Solomon's father was David. And then consider the fact that perhaps David's greatest failure involved Solomon's mother. That Solomon lost an older brother because of David's sin with his mother. Consider also that that experience was also probably David's greatest experience of God's grace because he knew what he deserved for what he had done. Solomon, all throughout the Proverbs, talks about how he learned a lot from him who begat him, even though he had many flaws. And then he urges us to do the same thing. So, do you listen with the intent to respond appropriately to your earthly father? I would encourage you to do that if you don't. That's how you be a blessing to him. Now, verse 23 explains that this intent listening to our Father is a part of a very important goal that every person should have in life, which brings us to another way that we can bless our fathers. Solomon says, buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The word buy here just means get it, acquire it however you have to. In other words, no other possession in life that you can acquire is as valuable as the truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Those are the things that we should be looking for on the shelves of every store in life. And when we have found it, we should spare no expense to purchase it and then never barter it away for anything else. If that's my mindset toward the truth then I should never write off an opportunity to add to my stock of it, right? One of the challenges that we face with our fathers is that we often don't want to hear what they have to say. I mentioned it earlier, but there were times as a teenager when my dad would sit down and I thought, oh no, this is going to be like 90 minutes of my life that is now gone. You know, he's going to say a bunch of stuff and he's going to say it the same thing like 18 different ways and probably tell me three different stories, Our father's timing isn't always great, and we are well acquainted with their flaws as they try to instruct us. And fathers do tend to carry on. But if you want to be a blessing to your father, search intently for something that they say to you that you can latch on to that will help you do better in the future. If you want to be a blessing to them, let them know what that one thing at least was listen, you don't have to agree with your father on everything they say or everything they advise you on, but if you're really seeking for truth, is it really that hard to try to find something from what they say to add to your vault of wisdom? Of course it's not. It's not that hard. So do you do that? Do you do that? I'm especially speaking to teens here because rather than looking to get out of the conversation you're in with your father, are you looking for at least one thing that you can add to your vault from the conversation? I promise you that you will likely not only bless your father if you say, Hey, Dad, you know what? You said this, and that's something that I really I, I want to implement into my life. I guarantee you will not only bless your father immensely, but you will likely shock him into speechlessness. <laughs> I had a, a friend growing up, and... I didn't watch Leave it to Beaver. I don't know much about the show. That's before my time. But I had my friend, and, and my mom would always say, your friend is Eddie Haskell. Now, I, I don't, again, I don't know the character, but what she described to me was is he's the guy who did everything right on the outside, but was a troublemaker. You know, everybody thought he was great, but he was actually a troublemaker. Don't be the guy that just smiles and nods so you can get out of the conversation and do what you want to do. Look for a way that you can find some type of truth that you can add to your vault of knowledge, of wisdom, and understanding. Now, when we acquire the truth and we seek to live it out, that also brings another blessing to our fathers. Verse 24, this is, the father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begets a wise child, not a wise guy, a wise child, shall have joy of him. That phrase, greatly rejoices, at the very beginning of the sentence in Hebrew, that's how they, word placement in a sentence is how they show emphasis. So it'd be like kind of typing it out in caps. Greatly rejoicing is the father of the righteous. But what is the righteous? Well, it's someone who's right with God. Greatly rejoicing is the father of the wise, he who begets a wise child, What is a wise child? It's one who lives life skillfully. In other words, one of the ways that you're going to bless your father is be someone who's right with God and walking with God. One of the best things you can do is be someone who's right with God and someone who's walking with God. Listen, whether your father is a believer or an unbeliever, you are going to bless them when you're living life skillfully. You're going to bless them. There's no father out there that's, well... Most fathers out there are going to be incredibly blessed when they see you doing well in life. Making good decisions. Now, living life skillfully and making good decisions starts with being right with God. It means you've got to get saved. So if you want to walk with God, you want to be right with God, you want to live skillfully, then you need to know the Lord. Now, this truth of how you can be a blessing to your father is especially true... If your father is a God-fearing man. In the letter of 3 John, verse 4, there's only one chapter, so verse 4, John says that here's no greater joy that he experiences than to see his children walking in truth. John compares his role as a pastor to that of a father, and he says that his greatest joy is seeing those that he invests into walking in truth. Listen, I can speak to you as, as a man who's trying to walk with the Lord. Flawed, not the best dad, but trying to walk with the Lord. There is no thing I dread more than anything else than my kids not walking with Jesus. And there is no thing that brings me greater joy than watching my kids walk with Jesus. Nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, all the other things are great. Like like if I see them doing well in school or and then they become adults and they're doing well in life. I mean that's great. I have great joy from that. But there's no greater joy than to see them following Jesus. And there's no greater dread when that's something that's in question. If you have a God-fearing father, nothing will bless him more than seeing you walk with Jesus and doing what Jesus says. And so I ask you this morning, are you right with the Lord? Are you walking daily with him? Are you living life skillfully by doing what he says? If not, the best Father's Day present you can give to your dad is to get right with the Lord, to repent. So... Three ways here that Solomon lists that we can be a blessing to our fathers. Number one, by listening with the intent to respond appropriately. Number two, by sparing no expense to gain the truth. And number three, by being someone who walks with the Lord. And we could end there. And there's other things that we could even talk about how you could bless your dad. But I want to be a loyal American citizen. And so I'm going to now impress upon you fathers what your obligation is. And so, it is no secret why many have cursed their fathers. Some of it, of course, is a rejection of these things. I don't want to listen with intently. I don't care what he has to say. I want to do what I want to do. I know what's best. He doesn't know what's best for me. I don't want to seek the truth. I want to seek this, 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 or this. I don't want to walk with the Lord. I want to do this, this, or this. Some of it is a rejection of these principles of Scripture. But some of the reason that some curse their fathers is because fathers either refuse to learn about their God-given role or they refuse to live out their God-given role. And so we cannot leave our lesson this morning without looking at how God teaches fathers to treat their children, to spend some time impressing upon fathers the full measure of their obligations. And I'd like to do that by looking at how God is like a father. And we're going to start in Psalm 103, Psalm 103. So if you're not a dad today, that was the first part of the message was for you. If you're a dad, take special notice here. Psalm 103, verse 13. We're going to look at some verses that will, God will compare how he treats us to a way a father treats his child. He says in Psalm one hundred three, thirteen, like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. So we're going to learn from the best father. It says that a father pities his children. the word pity here, it means to show mercy to someone, to love someone, to have compassion on someone. It's the kind of love that looks at someone who is in trouble and you're moved to be kind. It stands in contrast to someone who doesn't love that person enough to stick with them when they're in trouble. It's the kind of love that is moved to take action, not because the person deserves it, but because you have a special relationship with them. That's what it says here at the end. The Lord pities them that fear Him, those who are following Him. He has a special relationship with them. That's the relationship that's being described here. That's the mercy, love, and compassion that is being described here. I ask you this morning, are you moved to compassion when your kids are in trouble? And do you communicate that passion to them by being kind, even when they're the one that brought the mess upon themselves? I know I say this, and of course, then you're going to hear some say, well, I don't want to be an enabler, and I'm going to critique that in a second. But the second thing I'll often hear is, well, this is the problem, the wussification of manhood. Listen, we're going to get to the responsibility of being someone who disciplines his children in a second. But the idea that's being conveyed here is a heart issue that translates to a treatment issue, not a policy issue. When my kids have failed, I have never just been like, oh, well, kids fail. I hear parents say that. Well, kids are kids. No, they're not. Kids don't have to be kids. I have had children that at times have taken something that didn't belong to them, And every time I told them, you're going to go march to the person you took away from, and you're going to tell them what you did, and then you're going to give it back and apologize. And if it was something that was in a store, we went to the highest manager we could find. But I also went with them. I didn't say, and you're going to go take care of this. Because I know what it's like to experience the shame of being caught in your sin know what it's like to experience that thought of what way is out, and to sometimes be lacking the courage to do what's right. God, our Father, when He sees us in a mess like that, He doesn't say, you put yourself here, get yourself out. His heart is moved towards us with compassion. I have never tolerated my kids' wicked behavior, never tolerated their sin But something I'm striving to do more and more as I'm growing as a father is to be a man who will have compassion upon them when they sin and when they fail, when they're in trouble, regardless of why they got there. I was taught as, for example, a young man in my church, well-meaning, that if you see someone on the side of the road, you don't just give them money because you don't know what they'll do with it, and you're a steward of God's finances, and you're going to give an account for that someday. Sounds good, doesn't it? Except it ignores all the verses that say when you see someone in trouble, you're supposed to have compassion like God does. Which means it doesn't matter why they got there, and it doesn't matter what they're going to do with it. You do what God says. Now, there are times that I felt like God said, don't do that. Don't help that person out this time because I don't want you to fix the fix that I fixed him with. But there are many times when the Lord has said to me, My heart's moved for this person. I want you to be a personal, tangible piece of my heart to them. Just go help them. The Bible tells us that's how he treats us, and we're to follow his example. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is mischaracterized by its name the parable of the prodigal son. It's not about the son, it's about the father two songs I can't sing. One is a song written in the 90s by a vineyard worship leader named Brian Dorkson called Faithful Father. And it's this all about Luke 15. And the other one is When God Ran. I don't know who wrote it and don't know when they wrote it because it's before my time. But if it's being sung, I'm not going to be able to verbalize the words because it's too emotional for me. Because the idea of just how faithful God is when we look at this parable is so emotionally overwhelming. When the prodigal son goes back in Luke 15, 20, it says he arose and came to his father. but he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion on him. Here's our word. Pity. And he ran. And he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no more worthy to be called your son. But, why does it say but the father? The reason it says but the father is because there was more to his speech that he was supposed to say. The rest of his speech was to say, please make me as one of your hired servants. But the father didn't hear that out. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he's found. And they began to be merry. Is that fair? No, it wasn't fair, but it was compassionate. It's how our heavenly father is with us. We look at this guy and we say, how could you say that? He he demanded his inheritance before his father was even dead. It's unheard of. And then he went and wasted it on all sorts of horrible things. Yeah, and he didn't get any of that back. But he had a father who still loved him and wanted to be with him and give him what he could which was kindness, compassion. A father pities his child. God calls fathers to train up their children in the way that they should go, but God did not call us to be harsh and uncaring. And so I ask you this morning, do you need to ask God to give you his compassionate heart for your kids? The second thing that God says he's like a father is in Deuteronomy chapter one. When he's rehearsing to Moses his faithfulness to the first generation, even though they didn't trust him, he makes an interesting statement here in Deuteronomy 1 verses 29 to 31. He's rehearsing this history when they got to Kadesh Barnea when they were about to go into the promised land 40 years ago but failed. Moses is saying, I told you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. For the Lord your God which goes before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God bear you as a man does bear his son in all the way that you went until you came unto this place. A father carries his children. Disney was kind of Bev's happy place when we had little ones. It was kind of the place that we could get there and she would kind of relax and because the, the kids would have a blast. And, but I hated going to Disney because the end of Disney is not magical. Not at all. And if you have little, little ones, you know it's definitely the opposite of Magical. Because you are waiting for that monorail or that boat to come with a child that's been walking all day, does not have the ability to hold themselves up anymore, and your back and your side and everything is hurting and you're just praying, dear God, let the monorail get here. But you don't cast that child aside, do you? You carry them, even though your back hurts, even though you're tired to carry him all the way. The word bear here, it means to lift up an object to a higher elevation. When Israel first came to the edge of the promised land, the words of the spies terrified them. They doubted God's love for them, and in the end, they refused to trust him. God reminds this next generation through Moses that He will come through for them, and the proof is the fact that he carried them every step of the way, like a father carries his child. He will not abandon them. God calls fathers to make sure by their words and their actions that their children absolutely know they will never be abandoned, that they are loved and that they can trust their fathers to carry them through the parts that they cannot walk themselves. And God calls fathers to empower their children to get to the place where they can enter the promised land. Do your children know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have their back, that you won't bail on them when things get hard, that you'll lay down your life to ensure they get through the desert and into the promised land? The third way that the Bible compares God to a father is in Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. 12. Proverbs three verses eleven and twelve. Proverbs three eleven and twelve says my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. The word chastening here it means correction that involves both a consequence and a teaching. A consequence and a teaching. God, we're not to despise His consequences and His teachings because He's like a father in this way who corrects the children that He delights in. God delights in us. The word means to have a feeling of fondness and affection for someone, to be in their good graces. Solomon compares God's discipline to a father who is fond of his kids. God disciplines us because He favors us, because we're in His good graces, we're His kids. And so Solomon makes that comparison because that is how a father who is fond of his children acts. The time, the energy, and the perseverance it takes to discipline his children is worth it to him because his heart is toward them. His kids are special to him. That means that a failure to discipline my children is a sign of selfishness. That I am more fond of other things than taking the time that is necessary to ensure my children are trained to become decent adults. Because that's your job as a dad, is to loose your children on this crazy world as decent adults. It's mom's job too, but it's Father's Day. In Ephesians 6.4, it says, train your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them wrath, but train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Teach them to love the things God loves, to hate the things God hates. Train them up. Educate them, teach them. Be an example to them that when they are loosed upon this world and you are now at much lesser influence, they are a decent human being. Do you take the time to consistently discipline your children? Or are other things more important to you? The fourth thing that the Bible compares God to a father in Matthew 7, 9 through 11. This is a really cool one. Sometimes when you do like a Bible study, you have some things that immediately come to mind. But then you start digging in and you're like, oh, I forgot about that verse. This is one of those that I hadn't thought about. And as I was researching and saw it, I was like, this is so cool. But in Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11, Jesus is saying, ask and it shall be given to you. You know, seek and you'll find ideas, seek the Lord. But then he makes this comparison in verse 9. He says, or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will give him a stone? I mean, which one of us is dads if our kid says, hey, can I have a piece of bread, dad? And you'd be like, here, munch on this rock instead, kid. We wouldn't do that. Or if he asked for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask him? The Bible compares how God gives us good gifts to a father, how he interacts with his kids, that he gives them good gifts. The word good here it means that which is morally good, that which has good value, that which is generous. A father can give many kinds of gifts to their children, but God is our example in that he never gives us wicked gifts or worthless gifts. He is generous to give us that which is beneficial and that which is in accordance with his holy character. I have one of the best examples in my life of not get your dad not giving a good gift. We have the joke that we tell in our family from time to time about the time that my dad blew it. I think I can't remember his mother's day or my mom's birthday. But my entire childhood life, my mom said, do not ever get me pots or anything like that for my birthday or for Mother's Day. And so as we're there on this special holiday, and the wrapping is coming off the very large box that's making metallic noises inside of it, and we begin seeing the pictures on the outside of the box, all seven children who had heard our mother say this for seven years were saying... Oh, no, he finally did it. At first, I was, I'm the oldest, so I was old enough to kind of think and maybe wonder, maybe it's a gag gift. And then I saw the look in my father's face, and I thought, no, he did it. That was not a good gift. That was morally not good, because someone had said, don't do that. That was not of good value. That's <laughs> certainly not generous because it's what someone wanted to give, not what someone needed. We tease my dad all the time about that. If he's watching now, I hope he's chuckling. But my dad's a good gift giver. That was just a, a good object lesson. God never gives us not good gifts. And as fathers to our kids, we should be giving them. Morally good gifts, gifts that have good value, and gifts that stem out of our generosity. It is incomprehensible to me when I hear about a father taking his son out or his daughter out on their 21st birthday to get them drunk, or a father taking their son to a strip club when they turn 18. That's not a good gift, that's a vile gift. So I ask you this morning, do the things that you give your children give them the wrong idea about right and wrong or the right idea about right and wrong? Do you give them the bare minimum of your time or are you generous with your time and your resources? And does what you give to them give them an actual benefit or is it just a bunch of pots dressed up like a gift? A father gives good gifts to his kids. The last principle I'm going to share with you this morning is not a comparison to God the Father, but I think the principles are really important to look at. Let's turn to First Thessalonians two eleven through twelve. The example here is Paul and his ministry team and how they treated the church, the Christians at Thessalonica. But he compares how they treated them to how a father treats his children. First Thessalonians chapter two verses eleven and twelve. Paul has told them earlier, he said, you you witnessed our life and our conduct, how we behaved in an exemplary way toward you. Verse 11, he says, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who has called you into his kingdom and glory. So here Paul compares how he treated the Christians, how he and his team treated the Christians in Thessalonica by comparing them to a father. He says a father exhorts, a father comforts, and a father charges his children. What does it mean that a father exhorts? The word here means to earnestly plead with or to encourage to take action. There have been those times in life when I have sat down with a child, one of my kids, and I have earnestly pled with them to do the right thing, or to consider what I've been talking with them about, or to consider a different course of action, where I have exhorted them and urged them to take a right course of action, where we've talked about it, and then I have said, now listen, you've got some decisions to make, and I am urgently pleading with you, please make this decision. Please talk to the Lord about this. Please read the Word, and then let's come back and talk about it. That is part of our job as fathers. Listen, you can, you're like, you can march into the room and be like, listen, you're going to VBS whether you want to or not. But when they're 18 and they're in a whole different type of decision-making process, that authority is only going to go so far. If you're not able to wield influence, you're going to have a lot of defeats instead of successes in trying to move your kids. Part of what you have to do is to plead with them, exhort them, to encourage them to take the right action, to be those who walk worthy of God, not just to do what you say. The second role that we have as fathers that Paul mentions here is we comfort. The word here to comfort means to console someone in grief or disappointment. In our family, it's interesting. I was terrified growing up as a kid to to go to my father before he was a believer, especially if I messed up. Because I was going to get in a lot of trouble. There was no comfort coming from dad. So if I wanted comfort, I needed to go to mom first. And then we'd work out the courage somehow to somehow tell dad. That was before my dad was a believer. I, I go to my dad for comfort all the time now. <laughs> and he gives great comfort. But I swore as a young person that I, would, I wanted to be different than that. I didn't want my kids to be afraid to come to me when they messed up. My kids are probably afraid to come to me when they mess up in really small ways because I overreact. But most of them, when they've been in real trouble, have come to me pretty quickly. Because even though we need to have some tough conversations, they usually know that one of the first things that's going to happen is be like, you're feeling pretty lousy, aren't you? Like you're scared or you're this, and I just try to put my arms around them and know, hey, I don't know how, but we're going to find a way to get through this, okay? We're going to, we're going to talk about it, we're going to work through this, and we're going, to, we're going to find an answer. Part of your job as a dad is to console your children when they're experiencing grief or disappointment. They need to know they can go to the one that will not only tell them the right thing to do, exhort them, but also comfort them. And then lastly, I love this one. It says that he charged them. That's what a father does with his children. He charges his kids. And I read that, and my first thought is, yeah, that's right. We give our kids charges. Like Paul says, I charge you, Timothy. Keep the faith. But that's not what this word means. This word is actually Marturion in the Greek. It's where we get our word for being a martyr from. And it means to be a witness, to be someone who testifies to another. In other words, we're to give our testimony to our kids. There have been so many times that my kids have been talking about something, and I say, oh, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about Will the Foolish. Let me tell you a story about the time I was faithful and God honored his word. Let me tell you a story about how God showed me mercy when I repented. That is part of your job as a father, is to make yourself vulnerable and to share your testimony with the Lord, with your kids. It's interesting, Ephesians 6.4 tells fathers not to provoke their children to wrath. And then Colossians 3.21 tells fathers not to discourage their children by provoking them to anger. So when we encounter our kids and they've messed up, our job is not to produce discouragement or wrath. Our job is to exhort, comfort, and charge. When I become frustrated with one of my kids' behavior or their decision-making, Beverly has often reminded me, well, that's why God gave them parents, Will. My role as a father is not to respond to a tantrum with a tantrum or a bad attitude with a bad attitude or repeated failure with my own repeated failures. A father's job is to exhort their kids to do what they already know they should do. To console them when they fail to do what they're supposed to do. And to give our own testimony to God's faithfulness when we followed Him, the consequences when we've experienced His discipline when we haven't, and the mercy that God has shown to restore us when we repent. That is the job of a father. A father has compassion on his kids, he carries his kids, he disciplines his kids gives good gift to his kids, and he exhorts, comforts, and charges his kids. Men, we are fathers. Nobody else can claim that title. It's a unique role that cannot be explained by any other relationship people have in the world. And it's a role that God has towards every one of us. It's a heavy calling to be like our Heavenly Father. My wife... She always blesses me. I walked out this morning and had all these sticky notes all over the house that talked about what a father is. You read some of them and you smile you read some of them and you go, I am not that. But our job this morning as we get challenged to understand our full obligations as fathers is not to be like, oh, I'm a bad dad. Oh, the pastor beat me up again. It's to embrace the challenge in front of us. To look at that hill and go, okay, i got some more climbing to do. And then, even if it's just on your hands and knees, start climbing. We are fathers. It is a heavy calling to be like our heavenly father, but it's one we must embrace. Have you embraced it? Let's all stand. Oh, Lord on Father's Day, of course, but every day we want to be a generation that blesses our fathers. And so I pray that you would, Lord, help us not to forget these truths that you list out in your word, that we're to be those who listen intently with the goal of responding appropriately when our fathers are speaking into our lives. Lord, we want to be those who spare no expense to acquire the truth. And Lord, we want to be those who walk with you Lord, help us to do those things so we can be a blessing to our dads. And then, Lord, we thank you for your example, those of us who are fathers today, that you are a faithful heavenly father. And so, Lord, I pray that as men are committing to you to saying, Lord, I want to be more compassionate. I want to be, you know, I want to, I want to carry my kids better. I want to, I want to be a, a comforter, an exhorter, and a, a, one who testifies to my kids of my own testimony with you. I want to give good gifts to my kids. I want to discipline my children faithfully. Lord, as men are taking on that challenge this morning and seeking your help, I pray you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit so we can fulfill this holy calling. We can't do it without you, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And then, Lord, bless every person here today. Bless every father. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.